Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel over-churched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Aaron asked me to read scripture today, and I was supposed to get my new glasses before now. (laughs) And I haven't. And it's really long. So, so my children are going to laugh at me because I'm going to, it's going to be very far away while I do this. We are reading today Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, which is one of my favorites. It's the parable of the talents. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, You handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was mine own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For all those who have money, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even when they have, will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Is that your favorite story? I was surprised to hear that, but I'm glad it's your favorite story, Laura. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and diva. And I'm so glad you're here today. (laughs) Will you pray with me? God of so much, you reap where you did not sow, and you 
collect where you did not scatter seed because God, not that you are greedy, but because you see the potential in all things. Because you trust that there is enough. And so, God, we ask that you soften our hearts, soften our clutch on the things that we own so that we may trust God that there is enough, not just for us, but for this whole world. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. We've had so many woos this morning. I don't think we need any more, but... Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, knows that he is about to die. Not only that, he knows that his quote-unquote friends, those who will go on to start a movement in his name, will reject him. He has seen the promised land, and he knows that he he will not get there with his less than faithful followers, and he is perturbed. After parading in an air of mockery and pomp and circumstance, Jesus enters into Jerusalem prepared for a fight. He fights a fig tree uh, that doesn't have fruit by cursing it. He threatens to throw a mountain into the sea. And upon seeing people standing outside of the place of God's worship, gaining a profit off of those hurting and seeking God's hope, Jesus flips the freak out and flips everybody's freak out of there. He turns stuff over, he yells obscenities, he has a sacred cow and throws a temple tantrum. I'm really proud of all of those puns. (laughs) He does this not on the outskirts of the city, but he marches into the heartbeat of the religious city center, the temple, and he knows he is about to die. And so he acts like a mother hen, ready to fight off predators, gathering her brood, shielding them with her wings. Here, my babies, he seems to say, huddle in. I will teach and protect you before the storm of life gets worse. I will comfort you because in a few days, he will be dead. So fueled by his anger and his sense of what is to come, Jesus launches into parables and stories of absurdities, narratives that wrestle with realism and tales that grow taller as they are told about the struggle of faithful living. And so today's parable is no exception. And I have to admit, angry Jesus uses the language of slaves and masters, the poor being condemned, and the internal, eternal grinding of teeth. It doesn't really sit with me well. It's not my favorite story, but I have learned to, mas- to wrestle with it. So it's the story of this master who unequally distributes finances and expects a profit and rewards either joy or suffering. The master distributes money to those whom he enslaves, which if you've ever studied the history of enslaved people, sounds a little weird. This uh, master giving money to the people he owns, the people he, he believes he owns. And what's also weird for Jesus, so this was also weird for Jesus' audience to hear. People with autonomy were, people without autonomy were entrusted with finances and expected to create a pyramid scheme in order to gain more. So these humans enslaved go out and trade up and sell things for profit on Craigslist and grow their entrusted investments, except for the last guy. He's that, that one guy. You know, we all have one of those one guys that we know. Knowing he's not great at math, that he tends to overspend, that money seems to burn a hole in his pocket, this person decides to do the smart thing for him, which is avoid, get rid of, 
remove the temptation. So he buries the money in the ground, even though like a heartbeat in the floorboards, he can't stop thinking about how he will respond when the person who enslaves him returns. And so he does the best he can with what he's been given, unlike the first guy. The first guy, this last guy did not get much schooling, nor was he the teacher's favorite in algebra. And unlike the second guy, this last guy, his mom didn't do math flashcards with him, nor help him with his algebra homework. He didn't have the advantages of his other counterparts. This parable, and actually most of Matthew's gospel, let's be honest, is filled with what seems like hellfire and brimstone and hurling people into bottomless pits of torment. And where I come from, some preachers read these passages at face value, obsessing over chucking of souls into a fiery inferno and assuming that it's your fault if you don't make enough money or weren't given advantages at life and didn't invest properly. I know many fear-mongering, godly people. I was one of them at some point who believe that you should pull yourself up by your bootstraps as the key, financial, uh, key to financial survival, not taking into account redlining of cities, disadvantages to interview, interviewees with names that don't quote-unquote sound white, and so much more. So while I'm kind of terrified of this death-dealing master... I am equally enamored by this inviting God who hands out paychecks to those who never knew payment before and rewards hard work. But once the person does not show a net gain, what could be interpreted as capitalistic, a transactional God comes ready to bounce anyone who didn't meet their quarterly goals. Was it clear that they were supposed to create a revenue? And why weren't they sent to like a return on investment 101 class? The text doesn't tell us if the master instructed them how to use the financial investment. But what we can tell from the text is that this third person is too befuddled by the master's financial gift to know what to do with it. Instead, he buries his hopes and desires, hoping not to be noticed, hoping that no one will ask how he spent the money because he constantly assumes he doesn't deserve financial support. Money, whether a little or a lot, is meant for the wealthy, he thinks. Surely, I should not believe I am worthy of anything more than just to get by. This third person receives an investment, still assuming he is not worthy of investing in, still assuming that money has power over him and that God does not see him as worthy enough to have power over money. I have this recurring dream, and you probably have it too. Social science says a lot of people have the same dream. If you do have this dream, just say an amen every once in a while so I know, but it's the last day of the semester in my dream, and students are prepared for final exams, but there is one class I forgot that I was registered for. Every single time I have this dream, I need this final class to graduate, and I haven't shown up for a single session. If my truancy doesn't prevent me from passing, the, final, the failing grade will most certain, that I will most certainly receive on this last test will disqualify me from graduation, from a hopeful future, from a life ever. So I sit stunned, fearful as I should have been with my classmates, as my should have been classmates start scribbling out their answers. The bell rings and I stumble into an overcrowded raucous hall to my disappointment. 
I find this dream kind of resurfaces in my subconscious and in my waking moments, when my waking moments are filled with self-doubt or worry, my feelings of inability to change the circumstances. When I worry about how I will be received, when I fear my own abilities fall short, and I don't have the intelligence or the skill or the money or the talent to succeed. It's this lingering feeling that I am not enough. You see, the sin of the last investor, if that's what we want to call it, this final enslaved person, aside from avoiding opportunities, it's his doubt that he too is worthy of gaining grace in God's kingdom. There's a popular adage that comes from the King James Version of the Bible that says, money is the root of all evil, but actually money itself is not evil. John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Movement, have you heard of this guy? He's kind of a big deal, pretty much a hottie of the hotties in 1789. He said, the fault is not in the money, but in the use of it. Money should be used in ethical, hope-filled ways, not at the expense of your life or the life of your neighbors, but gained honestly and transparently. The gaining and use of money is a system in which we're all caught up in. We all have to gain, spend, save, and give in order to contribute to this world in which we live. The sin of earning or gaining money is not actually a sin, but actually when we say God allows others to earn spend, save, and give, except me. I don't have enough to give, to earn, to spend, to save. All are empowered to use their money in ethical ways, except me. That's not true. While we all live at different ends of the financial spectrum, it is true that all institutions and organiz organ organizations and companies are vying for our financial equality, are vying for our finances equally. They all come after us with their marketing, with their Black Friday creeping prices, with their cookies installed on their websites that somehow know exactly the shoes I was looking at last night. <laughs> we are all targets of those seeking to profit off of our large and little gains. And God, the God who doesn't need anything, asks us to use our financial gains for God's good. Our God who seeks everyone's bank account and gives zero forks about the balance believes that hearts earning and giving generously are beautiful. Our God, the God who does not believe women should be paid less than men and doesn't believe that women of color should be paid even less than wh white women, our God believes that all should be given equ equitable wages and that lead to a life, not just a life of getting by, but a life lived abundantly because our God reaps where our God did not sow and our God scatters seeds where God should not have scattered seeds. Matthew's audience, the people listening to Jesus' parable, as Jesus prepared for his looming death, knew of God's intent for the world and God's hope promised for tomorrow. Earning as much as we can, according to the hottie McHottie John Wesley, means we are to keep our head on a swivel. Keep our head on a swivel for opportunities to use our finances justly, to use our finances to serve mercy, to make sure we use our money, the way we use our money aligns with our humble walk following God. Some call it staying woke rather than weary to the kingdom of God at hand around us. 
But actually, when we use our money aligned with our values, we participate in the dragging and the pulling and the pushing of God's kingdom of surplus of all the things, including thirst-quenching, spiritual refugee-insistent and persistent welcoming, shame-throwing to the wind, and sharing our finances in community building. This is what it means to inherit the kingdom of God, to share the abundant inheritance with us and with others. So uh, rather than just talk the talk, I want to walk through the walk with you about some of the ways UVC also tries to earn as much as it can. This is what John Wesley, one of his famous sermons, sermon number 50, if you want to look it up, he said, earn all you can or gain all you can give all you can and save all you can. So for our sermon series, we're going to be unpacking all three of those. And earning all you can is not about hoarding it for yourself, but earning so that you can know the abundance of God to share with others. And so UVC also takes that. We, as a pastoral staff, take that to heart as well. And we try to earn all we can, not because we need plush bank accounts, but because we want to be giving and sharing with the rest of the world this creative community we've created here. And so UBC created a church planting cohort, and there's a slide. Um, Over the last, yeah, I know, (laughs) I made this, I'm very proud of it. Uh, (laughs) Over the last year, UBC has been training 11 pastors throughout the United States, and this one guy lives in England, he's our co-founder, and now lives in England. But these are all dots that represent other people in, uh, that have been interns with UBC, that we've been connected with in training. They now live throughout the country. When we ch- uh, share creating Jesus-loving communities, it's this map we're talking about, not just here in Edgewater or in Wicker Park or in South Loop or in Hyde Park Woodlawn, but it is across the Atlantic Ocean. Is that the Atlantic? Yes. <laughs> and so... People come, church, churches come to us and pay us money for our ideas and the creative things that you all are doing. And that money then goes in to help us make care packets to hand out to people experiencing homelessness. Another way that UBC tries to earn all it can is we're coming out with a book. And I don't know if you know this, but books are terrible to write. And we're writing one. <laughs> All the pastors have gotten together and we're each writing a chapter, which is also really challenging then to make it all work together. But it will be coming out in 2020. You can have a book that UBC contributed to. And the finances from that book uh, will support, continue to support our ministry. We also earn all we can by having an online auction, which is actually just more fun. And rather than just like celebrating money that comes in, it's really fun to get into bidding wars with the person down the street that you might not know. So thanks to everyone's creative donations and to the money raised by our joyous competitive bidding, we continue to earn all we can to support the creative community that we have here. And so when you give to UBC, it's not just giving to make equitable equitable wages for people. It's not just giving so that we can show up here on Sunday mornings, but it's giving so that we can continue to expand and share God's good message across our country. So we'll be passing offering baskets in a little bit. And you have a pledge card that was hopefully given to you. I think I might have forgotten, Kelsey, now that I look at you. We have them outside, and I will hand it to you personally. But this is also something you don't have to fill out today. 
This is for you to pray over and consider and maybe look over your finances and where you're at now. Maybe that's different than where you were last year. To consider how you want to give to continue to help make this community happen. Uh, Because it's only through your generous gifts that we continue to pour into this community that we're invested in together. And so you can fill this out. This is a commitment to say, I want to keep being a part of this community. I want to prioritize God's work in my life in this way. I want to see how God's going to transform my life by giving up of my finances and giving them back to God. So you have your pledge card. No, you don't. You'll get one. (laughs) And you'll be able to put it in the offering basket that comes by. But you also have those little frilly things that are on your tear-off. Those are other ways that maybe you gave this week. We had a new baby enter the world this week. Oliver is super cute, and he needs meals, or his mom needs meals so that she can feed him. And so maybe you're going to provide a meal this week to Oliver and his family. You can tear that little slip off and put it in the offering basket as goes by. Maybe you give online regularly, and so you don't have cash to put into the box because who carries cash anymore except for Cece? (laughs) She always tells me she carries cash. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, (laughs) But if you give online, put that little tear off in to say, look, I did the thing too. And you can do that. Use your power and your gift and your finances that way. We'll also be, uh, some of you are very new to our community. Maybe you've never, maybe you've been here for several years and never made a pledge. That's okay. Maybe you have just stumbled into UBC. This is a place where you continue to feel challenged and comforted, but also you haven't financially given before to an institution. Can you trust us? And so we are hoping to build your trust, but a really generous UBC person graciously decided to donate and share of their finances in an extra way, in addition to their financial pledge, this person in our community has seen so many of you entering into our space, these new people, individuals, and families, that for every new person or family that decides to make a pledge to UBC, this person is going to share $200 for that person or that family. So if you've never pledged before, consider, I'm gonna pledge $10 a week. I don't know about you, maybe that's all you can afford, but know that your $10 a week then becomes plus 200. You now have donated $320 a year to UBC than just your 120. I know that math because that's what I pledged when I was in college to my church. (laughs) So for every new person or household that commits to give to UBC in 2019, this person will donate $200. That means for 20 new people or families pledging to UBC, no matter what level you give at, no matter how much you can afford, you will be matched for $200. So 20 new people or 20 new uh, families, a fair estimate based on the number of new people that we've had streaming into our space each week, we could reach $4,000 pretty quickly, just $4,000 extra. But it requires all of us assume that God has entrusted us with the ability to earn and to give generously. So there's a challenge for you to consider as well. We're going to continue making Jesus-loving, inclusive communities. That's a thing we're committed to doing and we do it together. Will you pray with me? God, in you there is more than enough. When scarcity tries to creep into our minds and tell us that we are not enough, that we do not have enough, you, God, come with the morning sun 
and remind us that you are our God and we are your people. That there is plenty to share with one another. And so God, help us rest and relax knowing that you are our God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.